God bless you, brothers and sisters in Christ. What a privilege and joy it is to be able to gather here online as we worship the Lord together and hear his word. We began a study in Luke chapter 10 last week, Jesus sending out the 72. We're going to pick up where we left off. So let's hear the word of the Lord as I read from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of God. Let's come before him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come to you with grateful hearts that you have made yourself known to us and have spoken your word of truth to us. We are sobered by the intensity and the eternal weight of that, and yet we are so encouraged that the kingdom of God has indeed drawn near. Thank you for the hope that your word brings us and help us to live into that hope each day. Speak to us by your word and your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, Jesus sends these 72 out, verse 1 says, he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. It's somewhat like the ministry of John the Baptist. These 72 were to prepare people to hear and receive the message and ministry of God's Messiah when he came to their village. This was truly a faith-based mission. These 72 needed to trust God, not only for food and shelter, but also for safety as resistance, even hostility, were anticipated, as we read in verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Their mission is fueled by prayer and dependence upon God. You know, sitting in church with a steady income and a home to return to makes it easy to nod and agree that's how we should live. How do you imagine your prayer life might be different if you left your home, left your wallet, left your smartphone, left your job to follow God's call into a potentially hostile region with no connections, no plan B? Your only certainty is the call of God and his provision. When I was in college, I interviewed for an internship at a facility in Philadelphia. After the interview, I stepped outside on the sidewalk and thought I would take a brief walking tour of the city. 
I looked across the street and immediately realized it was a very different world just on the other side of that street, not one I wanted to navigate on my own. Now, God has since graciously called me to ministry opportunities in rural Pennsylvania, which have challenged me and I trust have been fruitful in people's lives and for God's kingdom. But as I reflect back on my life, there is that urban world that I have only a few firsthand experiences with, and never longer than a week's time. I have 4C colleagues who serve in the thick of that other world. One is in South Philly, another across the river in Gloucester, New Jersey, another in Erie. And while at the core, people are the same everywhere, these pastors serve in very different environments than I do. Now, I have another friend who is now a pastor serving in rural Pennsylvania. He is not 4C, but he invested a couple years in ministry in the inner city of Philadelphia. And now his son is serving as a youth pastor in inner city Philly. And I learned that just this month his daughter moved to Philly. And while they each took their wallets and smartphones... The call to reach the masses with such concentration of need and risk is compelling. You know, the church I served previously was difficult in many ways. And one way we coped with that was we attended another church on Saturday night to refresh our own souls and also gain a wider perspective of what God is doing. And that church had a satellite campus in Erie that ministered in neighborhoods that we would advise our children to avoid. And this church periodically had believers' baptisms as part of their worship experience. And while we celebrated the locals who confessed Christ as Savior and Lord, it was the folk from inner city Erie who we met through live stream video, who had the most colorful, compelling testimonies of transformation of not only their heart, but their life. I mean, some had vivid death-to-life experiences. And their faith was so rich, so pure, so childlike in the best sense. I mean, it was so clear that even as we sat in our comfortable seats in, in that safe little community, that God's power was unleashed in unmistakable ways so gloriously in the city that made what was happening locally seem almost anemic. And as I reflect on that, I realize we were comfortable while those in Erie truly struggled. We were safe. They, not so much. Our faith, while genuine and rich, was not nearly the desperate lifeline they knew it to be. And you could tell Jesus was their life. And I dare say they, more than we, understood what it's like to be lambs amidst wolves. Yet God is powerfully working in such places. He is greater than any contrary forces. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not snuffed it out. Okay, let's pick up with our lesson, Luke 10, verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Shalom is the Hebrew greeting of peace, well-being, with deeper connotations of completeness, soundness, oneness with God. And such a greeting of peace, shalom, was common among Jews. 
And these sent ones are not simply out there saying nice, pious things, but rather they represent the presence of God's gracious offer of peace and wholeness, the fullness of shalom. And verse 6, And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Now this is no small matter. How one responds is everything. If the person is receptive, welcomes these disciples, offers them hospitality, God will reside there and grant them his peace. And scripture is filled with such phrases as son of peace. And later Jesus talks about sons of light in Luke 16, 8. And sons of resurrection in Luke 20, verse 36. These disciples bring good news to those who might otherwise be considered a child of hell, a phrase Jesus used in Matthew 23, 15, of those who came under the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. Then there is the son of destruction, Jesus mentioned in his high priestly prayer in the garden in John 17, referring to Judas Iscariot, who was with him three years. He saw all the signs and wonders, was entrusted with the group's treasury, knew the gospel message, and yet refused to surrender fully to Christ and ultimately betrayed him. Now in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul warns believers to be imitators of God and walk in love rather than in the self-serving ways of the worldly. He says in Ephesians 5, 6, that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Earlier in Ephesians 2, he notes that we all are by nature children of wrath, and yet the miracle of God's mercy that saves us, not by our good works, but by Christ's perfect work, is an act of undeserved mercy and is received by faith. But not everyone will receive these messengers or their message as good news. Instead of being a receptive son of peace, some will like Nabal, who was a son of folly for not extending hospitality to David and his men, his wife Abigail intervened, but God's judgment ultimately fell on Nabal for his lack of appreciation for God's anointed. Okay, verse 7. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Now, this is great counsel for someone else. If you've ever stayed with someone, you know that can be wonderful for a day or two, and it can get testy if things go on too much longer. The key distinctive here is twofold. First, the disciples are welcomed by a son of peace who recognizes God is at work, that what these men bring is a message larger than themselves and truly is life-transforming. Not only personally, but one that will ultimately change the world. Secondly, these disciples must be keenly aware they're not freeloaders, but the good news they bring is critical to make way for God's Messiah. Staying at one's house, staying at one house rather, lends itself to a deeper connection with their host, the son of peace, who, when you think about it, will likely be a key participant in the next wave of God's kingdom work as well. 
You know, seeing the faith, the character, and the prayer life of these disciples over however long they shared life together will surely further the spiritual growth of all in the household. But trusting God, submitting to his way rather than my preferred way can be quite a humbling experience. And surely God is always at work to deepen and mature our faith, so we're wise to submit our wills to his. Okay, verse 8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now, isn't this the heart's desire of every parent of a finicky eater? Eat what is set before you. Now, some try to make this a statement on clean and unclean food, like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians saying to eat what's set before you and don't raise questions of conscience. However, Paul was in a Gentile setting. These disciples are immersed in Jewish territory. Even Samaritans kept the law of Moses. So I can't imagine Jesus is making any reference to someone offering them non-kosher food. Now that point is clearly made in Peter's vision in Acts 10 of the sheet of unclean animals lowered before him and he was commanded, arise, kill, and eat. And in that experience, God not only declared all foods clean, but made the larger point that the gospel is for the so-called unclean Gentiles also. That's not the point here. Simply allow those who receive you to serve you. And that can be hard on one's ego. But you are working for God, and this is how God is choosing to provide for your needs. Accept that. Okay, verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now this is the heart of the message. Healing is a sign of the inbreaking of God's kingdom. God is beginning his redeeming work to reverse the curse of sin and its consequences, which includes sickness and death. These are signs of the beginning of the new creation that will come in its fullness when Christ returns. Later, we read in Acts chapter 3, Peter explains how the healing he performed, in Acts 3 it was of a lame beggar. The people there were filled with wonder and amazement. And Peter makes clear that the healing was not his power, but God's plan of redemption through his only son, Jesus. And Peter says in Acts 3 verse 18, that God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, and this was fulfilled. He goes on to say, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets, and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is so rich. 
It's all there in their Bibles. The words of the prophets are being fulfilled right before their eyes. God's promised Messiah is coming, is, is in their midst. Open your eyes to understand this has been God's plan all along. You have a front row seat. Matthew's parallel account in Matthew 10, 7 is more detailed. He says, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. The healings performed are truly comprehensive. Lepers, even raising the dead. And later, when the disciples return reporting all they had done, Jesus declares in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus is binding the strong man in order to raid his house and set the captives free and ultimately reclaim this lost territory for its rightful ruler. The message here is get on board. Don't dawdle. It's time to respond. Repent. Turn from your old ways and embrace God's son Jesus as Savior and Lord. Trust him fully and let him transform your heart and life so he can work through you to bring good news to others. Now he goes on in verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Again, how we respond is hugely consequential. Know for certain that God's kingdom is coming, whether you welcome it or not. Verse 12, I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. You don't want to be in this category. I mean, Sodom is the poster child of unrighteousness. You remember fire and sulfur literally fell on the city of Sodom as Lot and his family fled. As horrible as that was, the coming judgment will be even more severe, indeed eternal. And Jesus came to rescue us from judgment and eternal death. He is the one with authority, and he is the one who sits on the throne. Now you need to know the stereotype of an angry God casting remorseful people into the burning abyss, frankly, is not accurate. Those who reject God's invitation and Christ as Savior will actually hold on to their pride, their sin, their temporary security, rather than surrender their heart and life to Christ. Luke 13, 28, we find Jesus says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you may not use the phrase gnashing of teeth all that much. It's an expression of rage like the crowds in Acts 7 that stoned Stephen when he shared Christ. Gnashing teeth is like the snarling of a lion. The Psalms and Job's and Lamentation use it of enemies expressing anger and hatred. So, so weeping and gnashing of teeth is not remorse, but unfortunately, casting contempt one last time on the only just judge. They will defy for eternity the God who made them, who loves them everlastingly, who died for their rebellion and sin, and longs for them to come to repentance and faith. But 
they are unwilling. The gates of hell, understand, are locked from the inside. Let's look to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a sober word, and we do come to you uh, with our hearts heavy for those who refuse to accept the grace that is offered through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do pray that their hearts might be enlightened, their eyes opened, and Lord, that salvation might come to them as they turn from this world and turn from their choices to Christ and his forgiveness and his life and his cleansing. Father, thank you for the gift of mercy that we know through Jesus and give us hearts that seek to share this good news with others so that none may perish but all come to repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name and to his glory and let the people of God say, Amen. And now, a word of benediction from Romans 15. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.